0: You are listening to the Berlin House Music Podcast.
1: Cool, so my name's Emad, in brackets, from Berlin. I'm actually from Canada, but I'm also not from Canada. It's actually a little confusing where I'm from, so it really doesn't matter. Point is, I live here in Berlin, been here for the last 11 years, moved here when I was 12, went to high school here, and I'm currently studying at the HTW um what else would you like to know so that's a very
0: interesting thing generally because i I think the main reason we connected so well in the first like when we met each other is because of your background and it being so complicated yeah because i remember asking you where you're from and you replied i think that's that's complicated story yeah that sounds like something i would say yeah and i remember that is exactly what i would say to people when they ask
1: where i'm from
0: yeah wait a minute
1: (laughs) i think you even told me that i should guess where you were from which is 100 percent something that i do to people when they're like where are you from and i'm like you know you have three guesses go for it and obviously they always get them wrong they always hit me with something like you're definitely arab and i'm like no try again then they're like are you maybe latin american i'm like try again and then they're like are you american and i'm like incorrect so they always get them wrong and i remember you did the same thing because i did not guess it right either
0: yes yeah because it's imat is an arabic name yeah and uh my cousin's name is actually Imad. So I was like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, buddy, I think I know that name. (laughs) Exactly. So, okay, you're from
1: Canada. You were born there, basically. Uh, See, that's where it gets complicated. I wasn't born there. I was born in Austria. Why was I born in Austria? My dad was just there working, coincidentally. So when people get to that, then they're like, okay, so you're Austrian. And I look at the guy and I'm like, no. Definitely not. Funny enough, they didn't even give me a passport when I was born there. They're like one of the countries where if your parents aren't from Austria, you're not Austrian. You're whatever your parents are. And my parents at the time were Indian. So they gave me like a like a overseas Indian passport and said, have a nice day. (laughs) Great country. (laughs) So they basically kind of gave you a visa. Yeah. (laughs) They said, yeah, you know, you're allowed to stay in the country. We don't care if you're born here. Yeah yeah a little a little weird. So both of your parents are from India. um, yeah, but honestly, when my parents introduce themselves, they don't say they're from India. They say they're from Kashmir. Kashmir is like the for those who don't know is like the northern part of India, yeah. um between Pakistan and India. it's uh it's like a state that doesn't actually want to be part of either country, but um because of some sad. History that it's gone through doesn't actually have a choice. So the state is split in half, and half of it is part of Pakistan, and the other half is Indian. And my parents are from the Indian part, from Shrinagar. Okay. So, yeah. I, I usually try to explain that, because the people look at me, then they say, but, man, for for someone who comes from India, you look mighty, mighty pale. And I look at them, and I say... Thank you. I'm very glad that you have noticed that I'm not as dark-skinned as some people are from India. But, you know, India is a really big place. (laughs) A lot of people don't seem to know that. But, you know, it's okay. They're always learning. True. Well, generally, there is
0: a lot of stereotyping. Definitely. But from the other hand, we like to put things in boxes.
1: Yeah, it's a lot easier for the brain. The second you label something, it's like, oh, okay. It's the same way when people ask me like yo where are you from and i'm like i'm from canada then they're like okay but like where are you really from and i'm like what does that mean like i'm from canada like that's the answer like no but you know like ah like how do you put it like mm, where are your parents from and i'm like Well, yeah, I mean, I guess they're from North India. And then they're like, yeah, that makes sense. And when they say that makes sense, it doesn't actually make sense at all, because then they're asking about a different question than what they actually asked. What they're actually saying, oh, yes, that makes sense to, is the fact that their brain says, that's why he looks the way he does, because he's from India. And I'm like looking at them, and I'm like, I know what's going on in your head, but I'm not going to call you out. Yeah. But in retrospect, yeah, it's strange. Even nowadays, like I mean, I've been here for like eleven years, and then when people ask me like where I'm from, I'm like, yeah, uh, I guess I'm from Berlin, and they're like, but like you probably moved here like a year or two ago, right? And I'm like, no, I've been here for like eleven years, and they're like, oh, wow, I've never met someone who's lived in Berlin for that long, and I'm like, oh my, okay, so it's quite funny. It's also probably why a lot of people like don't actually think that I speak German, yeah, just because I speak a lot of English. German's nice, but it, I don't know. I, I, I just don't feel like I can express myself 100% in it. So what was the first language that you spoke? German. Austrian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is really strange because uh, considering that I was, you know, like as a little boy, I spoke perfect German. And then uh, we moved to Germany when I was three. I went to like a Catholic kindergarten, preschool kind of thing which is also really strange because I was the only colored boy there. And uh, yeah, those were where my first racist uh, experiences came from. But that's a different story. Then after that, we moved to Dubai. Yes. Where my dad got a job uh, working for their Sheikh. Um, for his, uh, it was kind of like, a, he was like a veterinarian back then. So he worked there. That's actually where I started to learn English. So up until that day, I spoke German like any other young German child. And then from Dubai, I started learning English. I learned English for about two years, or maybe three years there. How old were you back then? I must have been between four, five, and six I was there. Okay. And then we moved to Canada, where I was then in third grade until the end of seventh grade and that's where I actually learned English like a 100% and got it together and that's also where I actually forgot to speak German although I did go to German school every every Saturday maybe for like two or three hours I really didn't like it but um yeah then after that in seventh grade my dad said hey instead of going to high school there why don't we all go back to Germany and here we are
0: Yeah, I think generally when you're learning a second language, the first language kind of um, stays undeveloped. Mm-hmm. I noticed this when I um, started learning Dutch. My English just stayed the same, basically, whereas my English level beforehand seems to be seem to be better than after learning Dutch, because mm-hmm. somehow I think your brain just wires into, locks into the, that new
1: language that you're trying to get in your mind. Mm-hmm, definitely. Also, the fact that you don't practice that other language as much also causes it. Because, I, mean, yeah. I mean, sure, I spoke German to my parents in Canada, but the amount of English that I spoke on top of that completely canceled it out. Sometimes I hear myself talking, and I, and I hear the mistake that I'm making, but I don't know how to fix it. Just because it's something that you learn in maybe, like, elementary school, and, you know, if you don't learn it then, when are you going to learn it? Sure. But I've been getting by, you know, when you hear me speak German, you basically think that I'm German, until five sentences later I say, like, (laughs) how do you say this (laughs) word in German? And then they're like, "Oh, you're definitely not a mother tongue German speaker. And I'm like, you got me. Well, officially you are. Officially I am, but... Also, if someone asked me what's your mother tongue, I'd say English, definitely. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's a bit strange, but you know, it's just how it is.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I have the same basically. I went to, like last year or oh, no, this year, yeah, I think January February. I went to German school. To you know.
1: brush up on your german now
0: exactly (laughs) how'd that go but i was born in germany and lived the first seven years here anyways but it was good but i was the only literally i was the only german at german school Mm. people kind of looked at me like hey this dude must be
1: a bit stupido (laughs) (laughs) i mean someone's just trying to get their german on point i mean yeah but it is weird you know
0: you go if you would go to another country to learn a language and then you would see a native from
1: there learning the language. Yeah. You'd be like, wait a minute. You are like, shouldn't you be really good at German? And then yeah. they're like, eh, not really. Exactly. In which language do you communicate to your parents? Mm, nowadays, it's a mix between German and English. Okay. And they sometimes speak to me in Kashmiri, which is like the language that they speak in Kashmir. Yeah. Although it's kind of dying out, I have to say, because the majority of the kids there, they, I mean, when you turn your TV on, you hear everything in Hindi or Urdu, which are essentially the same language, but one is spoken more in India and the other one's spoken more in Pakistan. Yeah. With really subtle differences, maybe just like how they, I think Hindi is written in a different uh, script and Urdu is written in the Arabic script. Yeah. That's like maybe the main difference, but otherwise you can understand each other quite well.
0: Okay.
1: And that's kind of why the people in Kashmir don't really speak it as much.
0: and well, that's a shame. Yeah. You know. But I think it's probably won't go away, you know. It's very unlikely, but so, do you have any info about like how big Kashmir is and
1: how many people? Okay. <sighs> Honestly, no. Okay. I'm really bad at remembering statistics. Yes so that's one of the questions that you would want to ask google cool. but there's quite a lot of people there yeah well
0: cool i guess that's uh, another topic for the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we laid out this rule that we are not allowed to take our phones to search something up or use the internet to search anything up to check our facts just for the sake of the conversation
1: at the times <laughs> I agree I love it keeps us off our phones and really shows what we know because I'm gonna be honest my memory isn't the best when it comes to statistics and who did what when I usually don't know I mean I know it when I hear it I know it but when I have to actually say it to you I can only roughly guess yeah
0: yeah I have a terrible memory as well <laughs> But, you know, that's the thing. I think one of the things we've got so used to using the Internet that you don't have to remember
1: stuff because, you know, you can just search it up. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I also heard it, I also read a quote the other day. I'm not sure where it was, but it was someone in the 60s or 70s talking about how computers and uh, technology is becoming an extension of ourselves so not and so we're not limited to just our physical body but we know that oh i've got six hard drives full of information so i don't need to remember it anymore because when i do need it i'm just gonna go click click cloop and there it is interesting what it does to the brain yes instead of actually memorizing things you just know where they are yeah where to find them access to information basically. exactly i think that's super interesting
0: It is, I actually listened to a very interesting podcast about this, uh, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Mm. And um, I think Elon put it this way, that we are already kind of um, like living um, with a cyber extension. Because if you put two people in the same room and you would ask them like questions one with the phone and one without the phone of course the one with the phone will give you more answers and Mm -hmm. seem smarter of course the only problem is with that the two thumbs or like fingers aren't the most efficient way of an interface Mm -hmm. to access the information and that's kind of why he's working on Neuralink yeah of course I mean to just you know, integrated in different way. So yeah. it's an interface problem.
1: Yeah. Solves it completely. All you gotta do is think about it, search it in your little neural network of a hard drive and there it is. Yep. Oh gosh. Yeah, I see that coming. Yes. Definitely. Just make it all easier for us. Yeah. Who needs a phone anymore? I have it built into my eye. Yeah. I, I I think that's the future though, mm.
0: because if you look at it in a way, like PayPal is also one of Elon's creations, and how much is used, mm-hmm. especially now. Yeah. You know, online payments, online payments. I agree. Christmas gifts. I agree. <laughs> um, I think uh, the future is going to be a thing for sure definitely so i want to go a bit to the club vibes because that's how we chill the most before the corona thing happened so the last time we saw each other was probably when you gave me the gift, right As mm-hmm. the that was
1: the 25th of february 2020 i'm just gonna grab it right here so
0: So in front of me i have a picture of um max max telar also dj known from
1: burden house music great guy (laughs) um and quadraki am i saying it right interestingly enough i used to always think their name was quadraki quadraki it's it makes more sense i mean that's how I used to read it, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it before, so I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it.
0: Okay. It, it is quadra and key. Right? So it's quadra, key. The thing is, I realized this later. So I read the word as quadra, key, quadra, key, quadra, key.
1: Quadra, key. It Sounds so foreign. Yes. <laughs> the way you say it. <laughs> quadra, key. <laughs> quadra.
0: Key. Um, yeah. It's Tanya and Kero from Two Man Records. And myself also in the picture. After we did a little live set as Groovebox Masters at Crack Belmer.
1: Yeah, shout out Crack Belmer.
0: Shout out Crack Belmer. So yeah, the 25th of February, 2020.
1: Mm-hmm. It's the last time we saw each other. A good 10 months ago. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Yes. So, what have you been up to since then? A lot, but also it seems like not so much. I mean, I'm still at university, so I've been having a lot to do with that. Yes. But, of course, I realized at a very early stage a couple years ago that if I only focus on university that my brain is just not going to function the way it should. So I've dedicated a time slot of every day about an hour or two to do something else and, you know, be creative. And in those two hours, I usually do music. And uh, that's the main thing that's been keeping me going. Nowadays, because I also couldn't be meeting up with friends and uh, doing anything social, I realized pretty early on, maybe like in March, mid-March, end of March, that I should really do something with my time rather than just you know, binge out Netflix shows that I've always wanted to watch, or, uh, I don't know, go back to playing video games. Not that I don't love playing video games, but it's something that I just stopped doing a couple years ago. So I realized that maybe the best option is to actually be productive. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I've really been getting deep into music history. Okay. Because, uh, I'm not sure when it was. I think two years ago, I was playing somewhere, I think it was at Humboldt Hein. I played and someone came up to me at the end and was like hey man I love your garage style like that's so cool that you play that and I looked at the guy and back then the younger version of me had no idea what he was talking about the when when I hear garage I think about UK garage yes and I looked at the guy and I said that's not me man I, I think you're talking about something else like I don't I don't play that stuff not in a not in a mean way. I mean, I like UK Garage, but my, my knowledge of UK Garage back then was just two-step.
0: Yeah.
1: And I looked at the guy and I thought, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But he was probably twice my age. So I was like, you know, maybe I should listen to him. And I said, hey, you know, no problem. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'm going to research about this, which I, sadly enough, didn't do. And then I thought about that in March. And I said, hey, you know, maybe I should really think about this. This garage thing. So obviously... One thing led to another, and next thing you know, I was just reading everything I could about club culture from the 70s. Yes. And uh, I mean, I've always been like an avid listener of soul, jazz, funk, a lot of Latin music as well, soundtrack music, a lot of stuff from the East, uh, Japanese city pop, Japanese jazz as well. Recently, I've been getting into like Hawaiian music and Pacific stuff. And uh, that had me thinking, like, everything connects somehow. And until I figured out how, I wouldn't be satisfied. So, yeah, you could say the last ten months I've been a big musical journey. Just reconnecting with old things that I never really followed up into. And I have to say, I'm really, really glad that I did. Yes. Because now I hear something and I think, whoa, if this was from Chicago. Then I look at the label and I look at the year and I think, gosh, this must have been... 20 years after that demolition day do you have you ever heard of that disco demolition day for sure and i think about it and i'm like my like how did this influence that this guy maybe this guy and i start having this huge thought process about what could have led to what yes and even though i'm probably never going to know for sure a lot of the questions that i have in my mind it's still nice to just be able to reflect and have knowledge there yeah
0: That's the background, isn't it? Yeah, great background <laughs> music. <laughs> 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 well, this is Berlin.
1: Yeah, it's never quiet.
0: Yep. But so about Disco Demolition Day, I think that's a very interesting
1: one generally. Mm-hmm. Because Disco Sucks. Yeah, the whole Disco Sucks movement. Yes. Yeah, I think it's um which year was it? Do you have any If I'm not mistaken it was nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Because I've been reading a lot of... I don't know if you ever read music books, but uh, I've always loved reading. I mainly used to read, like, Goosebumps and, uh, what was this, like the Harry Potter series and, you know, all these kind of fictional things. I love them anyways. But uh, I realized that reading is my number one key to education. I mean, I do it all the time for university anyways. And when I started university, I thought, you know, I have so many readings to do. Why would I want to read on top of that? Sure. So I skipped a lot of it for a couple of years. And then this year I thought, hey, you know, maybe I should really get into it. But reading about things that actually, you know, make me think about music and uh, somehow relate to it. And I picked up a copy of, I think it was Peter Shapiro's, what was it? The Rise and Fall of Disco, if I'm not mistaken, where he basically documents everything that happened from, I think, 1969 to 19. 19- 80 or 1979 and he explains it quite well and that's actually where i learned about the disco demolition day because i had heard about it before but i never really considered like the context of it like what was going on in the states around that time like how did it like how did it go from soul music and r&b to people going into disco and this more danceable stuff and then saying you know what disco sucks if i'm not mistaken i think on disco demolition day I mean, the guy advertised it to say, you bring your disco records and we blow them up because we hate disco. Because, I mean, you have to think about it like... I mean, in my mind, disco started probably like in the early mid-70s, and then after three, four, five years of disco everywhere. Like, I mean, disco on the radio, disco this, disco shoes, disco on the TV. Um, Just non-stop disco. Like, it makes sense why people got sick of it. I mean, I think there was even like a i think sesame street also had like a disco version there was like a disco duck uh it was like a disco duck record that came out and someone was like this is absolutely the end of disco because uh yeah. at that point disco became kind of like a kind of like a word that you just didn't want to hear anymore yeah you know so when it came to disco demolition day the guy was like you know what you guys bring your disco records we'll blow them up because we hate disco this guy was a radio dj who only i think he only played rock music yes. if i'm not mistaken So, obviously, you know, it turned into quite a thing, but obviously it wasn't just about disco, it was also about homosexuality, and it was also about racism, because you would think about disco music as something that, uh, you know, like, gay and queer people used to listen to, and everyone who wasn't really into that would say, no, death to disco. Yes. So, that day, they didn't actually just bring disco records, they just brought, they brought black records. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, there was someone who worked at the stadium that time, a famous house producer. How do you think who it was? Gosh, no, I really don't know. Someone famous was working there that day, and he saw how people brought just black jazz records, anything that was black music record-related. like And uh, it was actually like quite a racist movement. Yeah. It wasn't really even about disco. It was so much more.
0: No.
1: And, uh, yeah, I think the day after that, there was a radio station in Chicago that played Donna Summer's Last Dance. You know that song? Yes. Good one. They played that on the radio for 12 hours straight. Or maybe it was 24 hours. I think it was 24 hours. They played the same song through and through and through. And when he played it for the final time, 24 hours later, he said, And this, my people, is the end of disco. And switched from one day to the next switched back to top 40s rock format wow yeah but that is insane it's it's pretty crazy if you think about it yeah yeah well obviously i think the dj
0: didn't really intend um you know i think to be racist in this way mm-hmm. but we never know but i think sometimes you don't know the consequences or how big it's going to become and that's going to be, become disco demolition that you yeah. remember in yeah. music history. Yeah. But, yeah, I've also, I think I've seen some interviews and, like a lot of DJs said at uh, that time that it was definitely about race. It wasn't mm. about, you know, just disco.
1: Yeah, of course. But,
0: that is sad. But, it is, I'm really happy, you know,
1: to see that disco is all back. And yeah, so, disco is still bumping on alive. Yeah. Still being played, still being danced too. And I think now, even more than before, because of
0: Corona. Mm-hmm. Because people are more into the house parties, the clubs are closed, so everybody's looking for some disco, basically. Because yeah. I don't... You know, like the speakers usually at a house
1: party don't really sound, as yeah, well they like don't really transmit techno. bass, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so. You can listen to techno, and <laughs> I'm sure, and it'll just sound like pss, 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 pss. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't satisfy me for sure, yeah, but
0: but that's why I think also mostly at, at the after parties, one point's all disco, you know. Mm. So, there was, I think, an article which I didn't read, a friend read, told me about.
1: That's okay. Word to mouth.
0: Yeah, about the basically rebirth of disco uh,
1: because of the current Corona situation. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. If you find it, do do send it to me. I'll be keen to read. I will. I'll ask the friend for you. The friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is my guy. He knows. <laughs> oh it's she oh well she, she knows, knows. <laughs> so how's that tea pretty good the sugar really did it right for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so
0: so we had kind of the lockdown in march or in april and i think mm. it was in april yeah Late March, beginning of April. Yeah, uh, But then at one point, the clubs started opening again. Yeah, it was
1: like beer gardens and uh, open air stuff. Yeah. yeah. Did you play anywhere in the meantime? Mm, I had a couple requests in April and May. But I just didn't really feel so safe about it. So I didn't really accept any. And then I think I only played... I think, I think I played once in August at a private open air with my friends. And then I played at Funk House in September, and I also played at Crack mine in September, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. Those were, those were the highlights. Although in Crack Bellmy you weren't even allowed to dance. Yes. So, uh, I mean, it was nice. You know, they renovated the place. They they had some monitors i think or at least the sound was was a lot clearer than i remember it being but i remember my sister almost got kicked out twice because she would get up and you know have a little boogie yes next thing you know the the lovely man from the bar comes down and says listen up girl you dance one more time and i'll kick you out i'll send you home (laughs) i look at the guy i'm like no please please don't kick her out that's my sister and he was like, Yeah, well, she can't dance here. You're not allowed to dance. He was really strict. Yeah. I think that I think that was like a, there was like a a Tanzverbot, which I guess in English is kind of like a how do you say verbot? Like a dancing restriction. Yes. So basically any bars or clubs that were open could only be open if people were not dancing. Which is crazy. I mean, a Tanzverbot <laughs> in Berlin, that is pretty insane i mean i don't think i think i even read somewhere in the news that the last time that there was such a such a restriction on dancing was like 100 years ago yeah in the 20s or 30s or something like that
0: but if a place opens i think you should be able to dance Mm -hmm. Distance, because gyms were open too
1: that didn't make sense to me at all i mean people are sharing exercise machines yes like unless there's 30 people in there like disinfecting every machine after use. I don't know how that's safe. Yeah, it's not, but yeah, I don't know. The thing is, I think
0: generally with all the regulations is more, um, the government needs to take some kind of action regardless if it's approved or let's say if it actually works, but they want to show the people that they know what they're doing Mm. and people need to follow because people are afraid people want to have information and people just want to do something about it Mm -hmm. so I think that's why governments then just make decisions with the best information that they can get at that time and then just you know tell people to wear masks but not necessarily masks just you know to cover Yeah. Your nose and and mouth. Keep distance. Keep distance. But yeah, it is a crazy situation. Generally, we've never, well, in our lifetime, we've Mm. never dealt with it.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: So, what do you think about how twenty one is
1: gonna look? Mm. Well, I mean, in an ideal world there will be a lot of reflection in the next month, or at least there should have been a lot of reflection, you know, from the start of quarantine till now. And, uh, I would hope that next year, you know, a lot of changes are going to be implemented. But, uh, we're never going to know. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on this year, not just with, uh, quarantine, but also with dealing with racism, dealing with, like, sexual assault. I don't know if you've been paying attention with, like, Derek May and, uh, Oh, who was the other guy? Eric, Morello, from Strictly Rhythm. Ah, no, do, I. Do haven't. you see that? No. Where he was called out on, for having sexually assaulted. Multiple women, I think, or at least they came out and called him out on it, and then, I'm not a hundred percent sure how he died, but. Someone told me that he committed suicide. And this is all 2020. Yeah. Damn. Not too long ago. I did not get any of that. Yeah. I mean, I only figured out because I follow a lot of people from New York and uh also, like, on. I mean, I follow also, like, a lot of Facebook groups where people are, like, sharing music and stuff like that. And yeah. then, you know, every now and then someone will post a track of one of Derek May's old things. And the next thing you know, I look at the comments and people are freaking out. They're like, how dare you, like, share this guy's music after knowing that he's, like, uh, sexually, like, exploiting people and, like, abusing them. And then I really, you know, like, went into it and thought, okay, I'm going to see what's happening. I think RA put an article out about it. And I also read, like, what the people were saying and I was like, dang, like, yeah, dang. That is
0: intense. Yeah. Unfortunately we'd I would expect mean, the
1: underground to be, you know a bit more relaxed. You know, yeah. But Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I mean, I think there's a lot of ugly things in the industry that we're just not aware of. Definitely. And uh with time it'll probably come to light anyways. I hope. For the greater good. True. I mean when I mean, you look at it like where nightlife culture started it was supposed to be a safe spot and uh if it's not a safe spot it has absolutely no meaning it's just a bunch of people you know on some substance listening to loud music yes it's just not the same thing no
0: i think that's very important for it to be a safe spot that's basically my reason for going to the club generally Um, I found that like back in the day in Holland in the Netherlands where I started um, it's just a place where you go and there is like house music playing or deep house and Mm -hmm. then it's just you feel safe I feel surrounded by the music even if the club is empty Mm -hmm. it's just a very joyful environment to be in you don't have to go crazy you don't have to drink anything you can just chill yeah and I think that's kind of what was for me very important because I knew it doesn't matter which kind of place would be as long as music is played there those kind of people will be there and generally it will be like feels like home safe environment Mm -hmm. outside of your home
1: yeah yeah that's true one thing i would be interested to see if someone could pull off starting a membership only club you know the way that the paradise garage had it in the late in the late 70s that if you weren't a member you wouldn't be able to get in yes that'd be interesting
0: that would be actually great with covid regulations at the moment
1: not only that, but also just keeping the atmosphere on deck, knowing that everyone in the room somehow knows each other in one way or another, and no one's going to be doing silly, disrespectful things.
0: Yes, but I think the thing is with this, I think, so the people who are just getting introduced to the safe place can never find out the safe place. You need to get yeah, through it exactly by knowing people.
1: Exactly. So it's not going to be inclusive anymore. It's going to be... It's actually, yeah, not inclusive at all. It's like super exclusive. Yes. Yeah. But
0: I think it is... um, It is for sure, I think, a nice idea. I think there are probably clubs like this. Probably. Because I remember in Amsterdam, there was um, the Tower, Madame.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: They had a members club. I think in one of the floors ah. where you had to be a member to be there.
1: Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I think I was there once for ADE last year. Oh, that was a mess. Cool place though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but ADE generally. Yeah, ADE is generally a mess. So many people.
1: And Amsterdam yeah. isn't the biggest, it's already crowded. Yeah, and the next thing you know, you have people coming from the whole world. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it gets a little hectic. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember back in the day. Once upon a time. (laughs) Yeah, I think I went to two or three 80s. And by the third one, it was so packed. I couldn't move, I couldn't dance. Uh, energy was yeah it's a little tricky huh bad so I left and I was angry basically at the DJ's let's say the headliners the organization yeah because you're organizing events for people to have a good time of course to enjoy the music to be able to dance that's yeah. number one yeah. your nightclub
1: but to let so many people in that you can't even you can't do anything you just feel like a sardine in a tin yes just you know everyone's huddled together you can barely hear the music there's just people screaming around you uh. so yeah i think 30 minutes in and left uh damn the tickets aren't you know too cheap either no of course not everything goes up that week yeah
0: so then i decided it's like okay Um, when i'm gonna do events i'm gonna promise myself to always let
1: space for the dancer Mm. that's the most important thing people should be allowed to dance should be able to dance i mean that's the whole point yes i mean i've gone to too many parties where sure the music's great and the energy can be fine too but if there's no room for me to really let loose what's the point yeah i mean you want me to sit down i'll happily sit down in that case because, you know, you're just you're literally just standing. Yes. And I don't come to clubs to just stand. I'm there to no. dance. I'm there to sweat. So, yeah, I think about that a lot. And I've also been thinking about phones a lot. Like, phones and nightclubs. What do you mean? Like, I've been to way too many parties where I look around on the dance floor and... Maybe like 25, 30% of the population is there with like pff, a screen lit onto their face. Yes. So they're either texting or, I don't know, scrolling on something or trying to send people videos of what they're doing. But they're actually not in the moment. I don't think they could give less of a shit about where they were. And that's always kind of bugged me. Because at that point, it's like, if you really just wanted to come to the club to take a picture, why don't you just go somewhere else? You know? Yes. It's always been something that I've been, like, really, like, about.
0: Well, I kind of do look at it from, like, two uh, perspectives. As in, from the one hand, it is, if it is your safe space and your home, you're kind of allowed to do whatever the fuck you want right i i guess i kind of see that so you're just kind of chilling moving grooving to the music and you're sending like maybe your friend the text like hey this is really nice or you are maybe even finishing something up from work kind of thing yeah but you want to be in the club to listen to yeah. that dj but from the other hand for the best experience of course to be fully immersed in music and not to have any kind of distraction um from your phone and i think you see that the type of person you know the type of person that's really just creating moments to share a story on instagram or um yeah just capture yeah not an actual moment but a just fake the moment illusion of it exactly because then back like after they finish filming that 15 seconds they're on the phone and they stay there yeah and you have the other people who would actually enjoy it the whole time and then to capture maybe a moment of it Mm. you pull out to make a picture and then put it back yeah you can share it later true that is true but i get annoyed too but this this, that's why i like the i think the berlin vibe of clubbing with no pictures with mm. Flash. And- yeah, I think it's
1: pretty essential. Yeah. I mean, Flash in the club anyways, it's it's quite a mood killer. Yes. I mean, not also just, you know, looking at it from the perspective of whoever's playing and, you know, they're playing their stuff and they look up and they just keep getting flashed at. I mean, that's got to be horrible. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced it and I don't ever like that. I think on multiple occasions, I've actually gone up to people and' been like, "Listen up, you do that one more time, and I'm going to make sure you go home." And these poor girls were like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." <laughs> and I'm like, "It's okay, honey, but there's a really big sticker right there that says, "No phones, no fo- uh, no photos." Yes. Could you not just please look at it?" Yeah. Funny enough, like I think their picture probably had a no fo- nah, no photo image in the photo. Well, but that's the thing. People like to make those kind of just pictures. love being rebels, right? Yes. <laughs> oh
0: my god! Like lighting up a cigarette in front
1: of the no smoking. Yeah. Although it's <laughs> well, not much of a thing here in clubs, eh? In Holland, I remember I've I've had multiple experiences of very I swear to God, hundred percent accidental. Just you know, thinking that I'm in Berlin, you know, lighting up a little thing, and then almost being dragged out. And I look at the guy, and I'm like, but, but sir, why? I'm, I'm, I'm just chilling, you know? And the guy's, like, looking through my pockets and everything, and he's like, why? And I'm like, why what? And he's like, no smoke. And I'm like, All Right, you guys have you guys have designated smoking corners. I always try, you know? I always plead with him. Yes. I'm sorry, sir, I'm from Berlin. You know, I just, I, I have to smoke here. I can't smoke back there because I don't hear the music. <laughs> and then the guy just tells me, nope, then don't smoke. Yes. Uh. Yeah, they're pretty
0: much on point on it there, but it's um, I don't like the that kind of authority. Mm. It's very different when it comes to partying vibe, um, because you have the authority there. Like the security is very visible in
1: the club. Yeah, and you know they're gonna fuck you up if you. They're not even trying to hide. They will no. stare you down and be like, "What yes. are you doing there? Behave. Are you doing something suspicious? Cause I don't like it. Exactly." Yeah, I I wasn't that into it.
0: Yeah, and the same same thing goes for the streets. Uh, When I used to live there, it's like a lot of police, police on horses. Mm. So it's the vibe of the cities in the night, like in the club areas. It's very intense, you know. Mm. There's a lot of aggression in there. There's a lot of, like, power, Um, let's say police showing power basically yeah and people rebelling against it what i like about berlin is you don't actually see you don't recognize the people like the security people Mm -hmm. and it's more of a okay the bar people uh the bar staff you know they look out for everyone yeah something happens they just call the dude and he kicks you out
1: yeah
0: and if you go out there's also not much police going on Mm-hmm. but the people from the club will tell you to be quiet for the neighborhood yeah of course and i think then it's kind of you don't have anything to rebel against mm-hmm. so you don't really need or feel the need to break stuff or get into a fight or that kind of yeah thing. plus it used to be you know 24 7 open mm-hmm. for any kind of need whatever
1: you're into yeah which it isn't anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's funny what you mentioned about leaving the club and, you know, seeing police. I remember I was in back last summer, sometime in August, and I remember the friends that I was with, they were telling me that if I had something with me, I should really try to hide it. And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean, like, going to a club, like, what am I supposed to hide? She's like, you know, if you, if you have things, like, don't put them in your pockets Put them in your socks And I looked at her like What do you mean Are they going to like Airport screen me or what And she was like Basically This is Bayern. Well Bavaria In English she would say Wow. They were a little intense And I mean she, was, she She wasn't wrong Like they really checked Every single Nook and cranny Of my pants My sweater Every pocket in my Fanny pack So They Checked you They took me apart Just for checking Just on the way in on the way in yeah ah, okay. they they took me apart and I looked yeah, at but, the guy and I said Pfft. yes but you have that problem more often <laughs> I have that problem everywhere but that, I, I mean that's a whole different story we already know that <laughs> but um no no but what I was what I wanted to actually refer to was when we left the club at I don't know seven or eight in the morning I remember the friend telling me again like yo we need to be careful and I looked at her like why like we're just going home like we're just gonna walk down the street you know like four blocks and we're home and she said no 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 no, you don't understand this is bavaria people are different here and i said you're so funny like come on like it's okay, okay. i'm like it's okay like come on we're chill like we're not even doing anything you know next thing you know we we literally we, tur- we see a car start up you know it's like four or five people in the car they drive they turn one corner the first corner on the street they take a left and they get pulled over I'm not even lying. Within, I mean, they must have driven about 200 meters, Hmm. and they got Hmm. pulled over. Next thing you know, there's four cops checking every single one of them. Obviously, the driver had a bit of alcohol in his blood. They took his license away. They double-checked every single pocket pocket on them. I think they even found something on one of them, because he got right into the cop car.
0: Hmm.
1: And I looked at that, and then I started freaking out a bit, and I said, Oh my, this is oh rupee. i looked at it I, like i looked at it and i was like my like how do you guys enjoy nightlife here if this is what happens the second you get out yeah and she said yeah this is why a lot of us don't actually party here we actually go somewhere else <laughs> so they just took you to the tourist park no i mean it was probably the best <laughs> nightclub there was in in Okay. to be honest i think it was called uh Diraquita. dirakita yeah it had um had three floors and it was connected to another club in the back, but I didn't actually go there because I don't remember. I think it was something very tech housey playing and that's not really my taste. So I just stayed on like this kind of, not really techno, but not really house either, like kind of somewhere in the middle. Okay. It's like dark floor. I was quite into it. Nice selection too. Yeah, that was interesting. Nightlife cool. in Bavaria.
0: We have a cat in the room.
1: A visitor. Wow, look at him. So good at balancing. He is. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes he forgets that he's too big. Does he want some love? Or is he just exploring? I think he wants to chair. Oh, that's okay. You can share. Yeah, he sometimes,
0: well, a lot of times sleeps <laughs> in his chair. Yeah. So that car that got pulled over. Yeah. Got checked. I think for sure it's like normal and I think it's also a good thing. It's totally to check, normal to check people for alcohol, especially the people who are driving. Mm-hmm. But for the people who aren't driving.
1: Are they even allowed to check? I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but from bavarian law i assume that it's probably no problem because they took everyone apart yeah if it was just like oh we're just checking the driver like i would have been like okay whatever but i'm pretty sure they checked all of them because it wasn't just your average two cop situation it was four of them yeah so yeah i thought that was pretty interesting and i saw another incident like when, like, ten minutes later, we walked down the road and we saw another person get pulled over. Yes. And we were like, whoa. And she's like, I told you, Bavaria. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to go there again. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing against the club, but... Uh, that kind of atmosphere is, is not for me.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's intense. It's too it's much. It's way too it's intense. It's like you're doing something wrong or about to do something wrong, whereas you're just going to the club to listen to some music, to let go of the daily life, you know? Yeah. And you just chill. Yeah. But once this power showman, like showing of power mm-hmm. is present, then there is like fear and like a little rebel yeah kind of feeling that grows yeah that's true and that's uh, yeah I love it when it's just like super chilled that's what I like for example about like time. like the door you can't really see so there is no Mm -hmm. atmosphere around there at all it's just like another street yeah then all of a sudden you walk in and you are inside yeah so it's Yeah, it's not a street filled with this tension you know Mm -hmm. you have this tension more at like uh, around the area at Varshow yeah
1: at everywhere yeah also understandable though there's a lot of stuff going on I mean if they didn't police it I don't know what kind of stuff would happen there true so
0: yeah Mm. I'm gonna have to break it up
1: just real quick. All okay. good.
0: There we are. We're back. So we're just getting uh, into a little bit of a chat about sound systems.
1: Yeah, Yusuf, why don't you tell everyone what you used to do? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know? It's something that I didn't know.
0: <laughs> so um, when I started... DJing basically in high school Um, I used to be a driving DJ as in I have like my own uh, Turntables speakers lights smoke machine Um, So yeah, I would just drive there with my car Unload the car put all the stuff together and then start playing for the whole night so from the beginning of the party till literally the end of the party then packing all the stuff back in in the car drive home unpack the stuff into my room and then sleep <laughs> um and it was all love for music obviously as it should be <laughs> and that wasn't like it wasn't paid i think i got so that was like my graduation year of high school um we did seven parties back in the day with a friend of mine and for one gig i got a bottle of champagne ooh. and 50 euros ooh
1: was that your first paid gig then
0: that was um
1: yeah i think so huh the more you know <laughs> yeah. it was, it was. Yeah, and to that story, that's why I asked if you knew about Jamaican sound system culture. Because that's quite a thing that you, they used to do in Jamaica. Yeah, I, I have no info about that. Actually. Do you listen to reggae? Yes. No, not regularly, but I like it generally. Okay. Because it's very chill. Okay. I'm definitely going to send, send you some articles on that because, uh, yeah, sound system culture is quite a thing. Like, it really played a big role on a lot of things. Like, why do you think they call dub plates dub plates? You know, like when you make a single record just to play once, or yes. maybe twice or something. Yeah, that came from Jamaica, as far as I know.
0: Yeah, I think I remember the, the like big trucks with tons of speakers on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's
1: that's exactly what I thought of when you said that you were a mobile DJ driving ah. around with your thing. You know, and then I was like. Ah wait no he was just running around with the speakers putting them up and being like all right here's the party yes because uh yeah i did a lot of reading on that um about jamaica and reggae and dub and everything that happened there yeah and uh, a lot of them yeah like they would basically just you know like you'd have sound system crews where they basically had their own sound system and they would drive up somewhere unpack you know have their speakers set up, have their booth set up, get their records out, and just play a party right there and then. Yeah. And then when they were done, they'd just drive home. So I thought it was super interesting what you just said there. True.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well. So. Um, the equipment wasn't built into the car, obviously.
1: What did you use as, as a DJ booth? Like, where did you put your turntables?
0: So that's the thing. I um, do. I still have it. I don't know if I still have it actually. I used to have this table that was actually made for DJs. So um you basically put it together and you put like two uh planks of wood mm. like on top and down. So you have two shelves basically. So one um the size of let's say the a desk and um on the outer sides of it it has extensions upwards So you can hang above your head like kind of a light. (laughs) So I bought this... um, Like light beam. I think, yeah. So it basically covered the whole front of the desk. So I think it was around like 150 centimeters. 150. Um, And two lasers from each side. And under it there was like a smoke machine and on the sides i had like the speakers
1: uh, on standards (laughs) did you ever have any kind of uh troublesome experience with that maybe someone like pushing your desk or knocking your turntables or you know did your speakers ever blow up
0: yes my speakers did blow up on the last uh, school day (laughs) (laughs) Was it your fault? Um, I, I don't know. Well, I just put them very loud. Hmm. But they were budget speakers. I still have them. They still survive. <laughs> but, um, so the tweakers died. So oh. basically, it was delivering the highs and the mids died. So you had a lot of bass. Just a lot of bass. It <laughs> just turns it into And people into a for... coming up to me, it's like, hey, can you put it louder? <laughs> I'm trying to put it louder, but the tweakers are
1: dead. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever fix those on your own or did you have them fixed by someone so
0: um actually the younger brother of my high school friend um he was very handy so we used to build stuff and he was very interested in generally uh, machines yeah so he would get like uh, mini scooters or like mini bikes you know, to fix them up, to, like, buy them, which are broken, and then fix them yeah. up, and then sell them. So we would go on a Saturday, um, like, do a drive to somewhere in the Netherlands, which was, like, two hours out. You know, the Netherlands is not a big country. Yeah. So two hours is pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> if you could get through the whole country, like, four
1: hours. And get through the country.
0: Yeah. So uh we just used to pick up stuff, like, on ebay basically mm-hmm. mark platz mark platz, classic yeah, <laughs> um yeah just pick stuff up and then um fix it um, so he basically took uh, took it on it's like your, dude, your tweakers are dead i'm gonna fix them for you so he contacted the company because we picked them up together mm-hmm. um, at a company called Bucks shop they sell music instruments in holland in the netherlands Buck shop. Um, And it's funny because when we went there back in the day, it was a super tiny store. They had like a huge website because I ordered most of the stuff. But when we physically went there to pick up the speakers, it was super small store (laughs) overpacked with instruments and synthesizers and guitars and drums. Um, And I think three years later, I went to one of their three new locations, which were huge.
1: No way. Like the size of MediaMark, basically. So they expanded quick. They expanded super quick. Neat. Did you ever get any synths there? Any what? Synthesizers. Or any other instruments? Um,
0: I basically got all my basic equipment at the beginning there. So my speakers, I got there. Um, uh, my sound card as well. And all this stuff for the, the driver. Gator, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No way.
0: <laughs> yeah, now they're as big as I think, um, Just Music. Yeah. So Just Music is also music store is the music is it the music store yeah i mean
1: they sell music instruments like ranging from everything yeah i mean they have like what's four or five floors i think they've got like a synth floor they've got a bunch of modulars in there too they could even let you i think i remember i went there once and because as a child i used to play the trumpet in uh, elementary school it was actually where i mean canada I, one thing that i really loved about it on top of the people being really nice and there being snow in winter was the fact that in third grade they force you to play an instrument and third grade, the first instrument for everyone was a recorder, which is kind of like a you you know do you know what I'm talking about these little like it's a wind instrument that's kind of like a flute but made out of plastic and held like vertically down okay, and you basically had to like learn I think like two or three songs in that in third grade and you learn how to read music there and then in fourth grade um They said, "Okay, guys, so this is what an orchestra looks like. Does everybody know what instrument is what? And everybody asks questions. What's that? Oh, and what's that? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, and what's that? And what does he do? What does he do? And then after that, they're like, okay, so everyone's like, I'm going to get the instrument out, play it for you, kind of like demo it to the students. And if you like it, remember it or just put your hand up and you can learn how to play that instrument. I mean, this this music teacher we had, he was a really cool guy. Mr. Meebor, shout out to him. He straight up showed us a picture of that orchestra and said, any of these instruments that you want to play, you just let me know. Because the school somehow had a, like, a decent budget on instruments, and we had a whole instrument room. So I thought, hey, trumpets look pretty cool. And I uh, learned how to play trumpet there. Then later i was even in like the jazz band the concert band really yeah it was it was the beginning of my musical of my musical life okay i mean if it wasn't for that i don't think i would have ever learned how to play an instrument parents weren't really that into it i wanted them to buy me a guitar once yes because i was really into guitar hero (laughs) they weren't having it then i asked for a grand piano and they said do you know how much that costs and i said no and they said too much <laughs> yeah that was funny that was really funny but yeah i come back to, to to just music i like when i went there and i saw the trumpets and i was like whoa and one of the guys working there looked at me and said would you like to try that and i looked at him and i said what can i like how like they're so loud like there's no way you can you know, let me play an instrument here. and he said no no look at those little cabins on the side you can just take one i'll give you a mouthpiece clean it out for you you can have that room for yourself for 20, 30, an hour, as long as you want, before the next person comes. And, yeah, he just let me chill in that room, play the trumpet a little bit. I was horrible at it. I couldn't uh, get my lips functioning anymore. Okay. That's been a while. it has been a while, yeah. And also, I played trumpet for a year, and then when we got a bit more complex with the trumpet, playing the higher notes and stuff like that, uh, he realized that my lips weren't coping.
0: Okay. Because
1: you have to really... You have to, like, be able to make this kind of noise. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, be able to put it up, like, an octave or, like, a couple notes higher. Okay. And when he noticed that I couldn't do it, he said, Hey, Imad, you know, <laughs> you have pretty long arms. For a short kid, I was maybe, like, a meter, meter and a half tall. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, why don't you try this? And instead of giving me, like, uh, something else that you play with, three buttons. I'm not sure what those instruments are called anymore. Not a tuba a euphonium i think i'm not sure he didn't want to give me one of those he said why don't you take this trombone and i looked at him and i said but i don't know how to play it and he said no no don't worry it's basically a trumpet except you don't click buttons you just slide your arms up and down
0: yeah
1: and so yeah then boom i became a, trump- uh, a trombone player and i okay. played in the jazz band i even played a solo i have a video of like 30 seconds of it and pixel quality that my mom made. It's really funny because you can see how big the trombone is compared to my little body. Yeah. And it was really stressful to like hold it up and keep your posture well because if you're not breathing well, you're not going to play well. It's simple yeah. as that. How old were you there? I must have been about seven or eight. Okay. And I played the trombone then until I was 11? Until we moved to Germany. Yes. And uh, I mean, had they had. A jazz band or concert band here I would have instantly joined it and kept that trumpet trombone playing thing up but yes. they didn't instead I didn't learn music for two years and then in ninth grade or 10th grade our music class was I don't even know if you could call it music class we literally sat there and clapped out a rhythm or he gave us these two little these two wooden sticks I think they're claps. I'm not sure what they're called and he was like so you're gonna play this rhythm, and the test of the final test of that like half year was to play this kinda of click, 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 <laughs> it was so funny, and I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh my, I guess I'm just never gonna play an instrument again, yeah, I was heartbroken, oh, but that's just how it was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there was even a month where we were trying to learn how to play guitar and i remember the teacher put us through something really strange he wanted us to play oh gosh i don't remember what it was it was something very poppy that was really popular at the time and he had somehow transcribed it into guitar like i don't know he put like three or four chords in and he said for your final exam you have to play this little guitar piece of a song that the majority of the boys hated The girls were into it, but, I mean, that didn't really matter anyways. And then he said, if you want to get a really good grade, you can play the guitar and sing the song at the same time. Ooh. (laughs) Obviously, I did not do the latter. I just played the couple chords that I had and called it a day. Yeah. But, yeah, there wasn't much of an emphasis on music there. Maybe it just was because the school didn't have budget, but it just didn't seem like a priority at all. Yeah. And I mean, from what I've heard, I've had friends who went to the Heinz Backroom Gymnasium, which was a f- like a five-minute walk from where my old school was in Castellan alley And uh, they were like a music and art school, but also like just a normal public school kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure everyone had to play at least two instruments and learn how to sing, or at least the basics. Okay. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. And they were also like really into languages. Like, I mean, I had French in Canada. And that was amazing, because in Canada, it's a second language, and they'd really teach it with passion. Yeah. And uh, I remember we always used to like watch these crazy little uh, TV shows with like a talking pineapple, and that's how we learned French. And I loved it. I was like, wow, I want to do French my whole life long, you know, like, way. And uh, I'd always dreamt of going to France, and then I came yeah. here, and I was like, oh my. I guess I'm going to have to continue French. You know, like, they forced me to. They didn't give me an option. They said, well, if you've had French before, you do French here too. Okay. And it was the most unenjoyable thing I'd ever done. I mean, at the same time, I was also learning German, but I was on the lowest level of German, so those classes were completely fine because the teachers didn't really care much. But in French, this lady really, she really took the German approach to teaching. There was nothing about, we didn't watch any kind of movies. We didn't watch cartoons we didn't listen to music it was literally just here's a text do the grammatical questions put your hand up if you know put your hand up if you don't know and go home okay and that was French for three years where I have to say I completely lost my motivation to learn it I didn't see any point anymore and uh just didn't do it I, understand. I think
0: teachers make huge difference generally in your motivation to attend a class and and how well you do with the final test because i have had teachers which are just genuinely nice people i want the best for you individually also and they see how you improve and they basically go out of their way to make sure that you get the opportunities that. Let's say your individual uh, level mm-hmm. is up to. Um, but also make it, make the class more interesting. But I think this comes down to personalities and what kind of person you are um, and why you're doing it in the first place. So maybe if teaching wasn't your first choice, um, but it's more of a settling in kind of job then you would still do the job correctly but maybe there's not as much passion in it mm. and I'm not saying if that's not your first choice of course you know that's like but generally I think if you have a passion for you, the job that you're doing you're gonna excel at it and that energy basically gets transferred mm. to the Definitely students. Gets transferred and then they started they start to see the good things about it even if it's not let's say the greatest school or the greatest city or the greatest future perspective but um,
1: you still think like oh okay this is cool no i want to be here yeah no i definitely agree with that i mean funny enough this teacher who i had for french she taught that french class for three years and then when the principal um, said that he was leaving she jumped at it and next thing you know, she stopped teaching French, let someone else do it, and became school principal. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Funny enough, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also
0: have... Yeah, I've had teachers, or one teacher, um, and she basically brought a lot of her personal uh, struggles into... The classroom so she would not come as let's say a neutral or a positive force or energy into the classroom she would come already loaded with negativity mm. and waiting for a chance to just you know blow off some steam yeah um and i think that's um yeah that's not a good way of motivating the students to attend the class and excel at your class which actually would make you a better teacher would give you a positivity back mm-hmm. but i think some people just get stuck in spirals
1: <clears throat> yeah yeah i see that
0: and i never um accepted it uh, generally when i feel that the authority that people have authority over you and they still have the responsibility if, and if they misuse um or like use their authority and power in a way that's not justifiable to me, then I'm like, Hey, wait a minute, you're not fulfilling your responsibilities. So you better check yourself. <laughs> check yourself. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. I think that's also a thing that, Not a lot of teachers are used to, so there is kind of this intimidation level. But I think if you're a teacher, you should be one with your students. So you would be open for critique and open for improvement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think teachers are like, so like very important generally to society
1: and to future generations, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they can really spark a candle in you. Yes. And, you know, that candle can stay burning or it can be very dim and uh, burn out quick. Yes. And then, you know, so much for that. I mean, luckily for me, I also had a really nice English teacher who really, she she gave us a lot to read. I mean, I'm not sure what the average is that a kid has to read in eighth grade, but I felt like we were reading a book a month and we get to present on it and then analyze it. But she just had so much fun with it that it didn't seem like a chore anymore. You know, like I wasn't the biggest reader, I guess you could say, in my childhood. But then when it came to like fourth, fifth grade and people giving us books to read and saying, okay, so once you've read this, I want you to focus on this exact theme or motive in the book and just think about it and answer these questions. I used to just do it because, you know, you had to do it. But then when I really started thinking about things, I think it really came to me when I read Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you ever read that, but it's like a classic, like, North American book that people teach to, I don't know, eighth or ninth graders and then have them, like, analyze themes of it because it's like a story about these boys that I think they're stuck on an island and they don't have any, like, authority figures, right? Because there's no adults there. Like, I think the the captain and someone else like they died in the crash or something and then it's just like a bunch of children left alone on island who somehow have to like organize themselves and you know like succeed in staying alive and getting resources and setting up like a community you know and it just had like a lot of problems in it i think at the end of it there was like some kind of like a shell like a magic shell that they would like blow into and like it meant that you're the captain or you could like make calls between people or something and i remember that something happened in the minds of these boys that they believed that this boy i want to say his name was piggy but that's probably not his name but it was something outrageous anyways and i'm pretty sure at the end of it somehow they were all convinced that piggy was evil or that he'd been like cursed or something and they wanted to kill him i think and I remember I had to analyze, like, one of the characters' roles, and I thought, damn, I've never really, like... Sure, I listen to people and what they say, but, like, I never paid attention to the words they say, like, in exact orders, you know? Because it... I mean, like, when you read between the lines, like, you could really pull a lot about someone's character out of just text. Yeah. And just, you know, reading about those kind of things and then really reflecting upon it, did I go, like, wow. I remember one time I even sent her an email on the weekend... And I mean, I was like in eighth grade. And I mean, for me, at least, it wasn't really a thing that you email your teachers. I mean, like your teachers were people that you saw between a Monday to Friday, and then they don't exist. Summer holidays don't exist. Suddenly, here I am thinking, damn, I need to ask my teacher something on a Sunday afternoon. And I emailed her. And surely enough, she emailed me back the same evening and answered my question about, I think I asked her like what metaphors are yeah. and like how are they used and she sent me like a bunch of text explaining them and then uh yeah that's how i understood what a metaphor was and i was mind blown and like to this day it's still there you know like anytime that i feel like i can say something in a artsier way you know like with different words than you'd usually put them just to like make you think about it a bit more i go for it yeah. that's all her fault <laughs> i love her to this day she actually found me on linkedin the other day and like added me as a what do you call it a connection or whatever and I hit her I hit her back with a message straight and I was like hey Ms. Birmingham like what's going on like so nice to see you here on the (laughs) WWW and she said sorry Imad I'm not familiar with chatting on here please send me an email (laughs) and that is exactly what I did Uh, she's a great lady that is that is wonderful yeah I
0: think but this is the thing I think good teachers stick for life know for real and you keep telling on their stories and that's like um, an example of uh, another great teacher was like one of my teachers when I first came to Holland from Iraq not really speaking the language and um, he basically saw potential and I was Funnily enough, like doing a stream, um, I think a month back or two months back. And after the stream, I see a message from my teacher, (laughs) because we're also like friends on Facebook, basically. He's already retired, I think, um, for, I think, like two years or three, uh, in his 70s. Um, But yeah, just asking how I was doing and all that. So we chatted for a bit. But he basically made it so easy for me to continue studying at the school. um, And without me even asking for it, like he went out of his way Mm -hmm. behind my back to make stuff happen for me. Yeah. Um, And this way he got me to skip the whole class because he saw, like, okay, you're doing very well in this level. Yeah. You're doing too well to just pass this level. So I'm going to try you. Uh, try for you to make some exams from the next level, so by the end of this of the year you could start, like skip a class. Yeah, so. yeah. And all his suggestion and it worked out, um, and I'm very grateful for that. And also from my transition from let's say Dutch school to learn the language to regular school, there was also some kind of payment um, issue, mm-hmm. or. It was like I would have to pay more the year after and what he arranged basically is that we would still be registered at the old school um so we don't have to pay anything. Ah. Uh, and that for like three years. Just Wow by... bless him. Yes. <laughs> Dang. Bless him. Yeah. Shout out for sure. <laughs> um and basically he's the best teacher I've had. I've ever had and I always uh, you know say that to him too and my sister was at the same school and
1: she has the same thing and we're all in contact oh man that's so nice yeah <laughs> yeah teachers can really really play a big role in your life yes they can I'm
0: talking um, about speak Is that teachers about speakers yes that's the thing so my mind was already kind of dipping in well tell me so i think what would be nice maybe to try and find like a a weird night let's say weird experience
1: in the clubs generally a weird experience <clears throat> let me think or just, let's say, an experience that you would like to share? Wow, there's a lot, actually. <laughs> Let me think. I mean, one of them, one of the first parties that I went to where it was house music was because my friend Mark, Cable K, shout out. Um, he told me that there was this crew and they were called Texture. And he said, these guys play really good house music, you gotta go to all their parties. And I'd gone to one of them, and I realized when I was on the dance floor that I wasn't being bombarded with kicks and snares at full velocity all night long, but there was actually groove in the music, and it kind of reconnected me and reminded me of like soul and disco, and I thought, you know, whatever this is, this kind of techno, I like it. And then I remembered, yeah. ah, Mark said it was called house music. And I was like, cool. I must have been maybe like 17 at the time. And I remember I'd listened to this guy's set. And I was like, whoa, did I just hear a piano solo? And I'm thinking to myself, like, gosh, I've I've never heard electronic music like this in a club with, like, instruments on it. I heard vocals in there. There was a flip of, um, do you know Zane? Hey Mr. DJ, it's a really classic. I want to say it's from the late '80s. It's kind of like an early house track, and he played an edit of that. I think by it was by Joss Mo, Joss Moog or Joss Mog. I'm not sure exactly what his name was, but he played that record, and I remember I was just dancing and going like, "Whoa!" Like I didn't know that I like vocals in in music, like in dance music, because I mean, till then it, it really just been techno techno-techno, a lot of industrial stuff. And my mind was just really just wowed. And I think I, st- I think that party was in Arena um, uh, on the Spree here in Berlin. And uh, I remember I went home that morning and usually it would be... Oh my. Usually it would be like after I went to a techno party, I'd be sitting in the S-Bahn, which is like the public trains here, and I'd be like listening to the... To the sound of the train, thinking it's musical, because I had been exposed to just a kick drum and some kind of, you know, like robots, robot intercourse kind of noises, where it really just went with a bass drum. And I used to think that the train was music. And after that night, I remember I sat in the train. And I was like, "Wow, what is this? This background noise? It's kind of stressing me out." I had so much nice, groovy stuff in my mind, like being exposed to it. And now I'm stuck with this kind of noise again and I remember the next day after I'd slept until like the afternoon I was like my I really need to find out what this guy was playing it was like I mean I had always been a music fiend and always wanted to know who made what music and put it on some kind of a playlist so of course I found the crew on Facebook and I wrote them and I was like hey guys like I was at your party yesterday and like I was I, like wow that was amazing like you guys play some really good music I mean in retrospect a lot of it was like very like the beginning of lo-fi house close like deep house lo-fi house kind of stuff but it was really groovy so i wrote the guy's message and was like hey like please like can you tell me some of the songs you played because like i want to hear them again because i how else would i find them i did get an answer for like two or three days and i thought oh man Maybe they're too popular. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't answer messages of fans like that. You know, like maybe that was dumb of me. So I said, okay, whatever. Like, I can live without those couple of songs. And then a couple days later, one of the DJs, uh, Zulian, A.K.A. Julian, actually hit me back and said, "Hey, man," and he put he compiled, I think, everything that he played in his set, and sent me a list of it: artist, title, label. And I looked at it and I said, Wow, thank you so much. And I was just overwhelmed that, you know, this godly figure in my life had just blessed me with the secret code word to finding the sound. And so, of course, I did some heavy research and I listened to every single song and I made a playlist of the ones that I really liked. And that's kind of where my house journey started. Right off that message. And, uh, yeah, then, anyway, a little side story there but point is then one time i think a couple months later i went to one of their last parties in arena again and this time i went there with like a little i'd made julian an envelope and i'd left a little treat in there for him and i read and i wrote a little thank you letter at the end you know because i was just so grateful that this guy not only plays great music but he also shared it with me and uh, i didn't really know how much of an impact that would make to my life until I actually started DJing maybe a year later. Or yeah, about a year later. And uh I remember I was looking for him and I just couldn't find him that night, so I went to the to the lady at the um cloak room and I was like, Hey, like, do you maybe know Zulian? Because that's his DJ name, Zulian. And I was like, Hey, do you maybe know Zulian? Do you know where I can find him? And she looks at me, she's like, no, I mean, I know he's running the party, but I just don't know where he is, you know? And I was like, that's okay. Like, could you just give him this? And my friends are looking at me like, Iman, what is that? And I'm like, it's a gift. And she looks at it and she's like, okay. Cause I mean, it looked a little suspicious. (laughs) It looked like an envelope with something in it. Um. And she didn't know what to say. So she looked at it and I was like, please, like I would give it to him, but I just, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where to find him. I don't know what to do, you know, basically. I was a lost child. Anyways, I gave it to her and she said she'd do her best. And as I'm walking out, jacket on and everything, I hear her yelling and I turn around and I look at her and she's pointing at me. She's like, he's here, he's here. Come, 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 he's here. And I look at her and I'm like, oh my. I look at my friends and I'm like, guys, meet me outside, I'll be right back. So I run towards her and she's pointing at at this chap and he looks at me and she looks at me and I look at them, and I'm like, oh, you must be Zulian. <laughs> he must have looked at me like, what the hell is going on? And then, yeah, he's already holding the envelope Yes. because she gave it to him. And I just, like, look at him, and I'm just, like, overwhelmed. I didn't know what to say. I was like, well, I just I just wanted to say thank you so much. Like, your, your music is amazing. Thank you so much for having me and making this possible. Like, you really, like, wow. I was just such a fangirl that day. And he was like all good man like it's just what i do and you know I had a little chat and then i called it in i remember like thinking about it probably every day for like a couple of weeks and i was just waiting till the next party and i honestly i don't think there was a last party or i missed it but i think they at some point they closed down and i actually contacted julian at the end of last year because i wanted to book him for a party or see if he'd be willing to do that kind of thing and then you told me texture isn't really a thing anymore they're taking a break and this that and the other thing but yeah that was definitely one of those stories yes well
0: that is a good one
1: for sure yeah it was definitely something that made a memory on me yes but I think this is the thing what I think a lot of people don't
0: really um, think of when they think about clubs <laughs> is that um, there's a lot of passion in music, and sometimes this kind of romance in the music is nice because you're basically getting this feeling getting this vibe um in music that people then share with you, and you're just enjoying that vibe, basically enjoying that music and it 's just love, you know it's definitely just love and also for him. For julian it must be very nice to have someone who's giving him so much kindness mm-hmm. as well you know because i think that's also a thing what artists or djs like you know is appreciation definitely back from the people and you know you're a kind dude and you have like a very nice and genuine um way of communicating and leaving little treats and gifts here but all connected in a memory basically Mm -hmm. because um how i know you also is you are um a club dude as in (laughs) you're at every party basically (laughs) you know and you have your shades on and you're just rocking it just having dance Yes. Um,
1: And you have your camera on you. Like your... Very, uh, very important little thing, that Canon. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, what you said with the little souvenir, the little memories, and also thinking about what we said earlier about memory, that's why I started taking that camera with me. Because, I mean, I realized... I mean, I had a digital camera when I was maybe eight or nine. And I remember snapping a couple of pictures with it and uh, never looking at those pictures ever again. So then later when I got my first iPhone, when I was 14 or 15, I thought, gosh, I could take pictures of anything all the time. And I did exactly that. I took a bunch of pictures, never looked at them ever again. Then, maybe a year later, like, before a little before I turned 16, I realized that, hey, like, What if you got a dedicated camera for taking pictures? And I thought about it for a little while and I thought, well, on my phone here, I've got 2000 pictures. Realistically, they're not good enough for me to ever want to look look at them again. I mean, sure, there's like phases where every now and then I'll be like, just browsing through my pictures, but it wasn't like, uh, there's no real passion for it, you know? So when I got my first analog camera, I remember thinking like, okay, so this is how you load film into it. You got to make sure that it's on. You're pointing at the right way. The flash is on. You have to suddenly think about what you're doing. You know, you have to be more conscious about it. And I remember thinking that one canister of film has maximum 36 exposures. So suddenly you're not, you know, it's not possible for you to take five pictures of the same thing to get the right picture. You had one. I mean, sure, you could take 36 tries, but you know film was pretty I mean film is still pretty expensive I think it's like eight or nine bucks for three rolls of film I calculated it out once and I was like oh I can't just blow pictures out yeah so you know I started taking this little camera with me and like initially the plan was just to you know take pictures of things I wanted to remember because I mean I didn't really keep a diary so there's no way for me to look back and be like what did I do on this day or when did that happen or when did that happen So it was, you know, it just kind of came naturally to me that I was, you know, very focused on details and realized that, you know, this exact moment, I want to keep forever. So, yeah, I would start carrying that little analog with me, taking pictures here and there, here and there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the more that I started doing musical things, the more pictures of musical things came on my camera. I mean... I think the very first time let me think about this early 2017 not too long after that i'd been exposed to the texture crew and this lo-fi house movement maybe like half a year before did i end up at griesmühle for i think it was a certain circles and best modals party and personally, when I used to go to Griezmühle, I always went to the techno raves. And I was almost 100% sure that day was also just average techno rave. So, you know, I got in line, did my thing, got in. And to my surprise, I didn't hear this loud, rooming techno as I had expected, you know? The little, the little factory, they always had that kind of stuff playing, but it was house. But this time, not, not the lo-fi house that I'd been exposed to before, but more like a deeper, minimal groove of it. And I remember just being there and just, you know, having having a really great time. And then I thought like, wow, who are these people? And of course I did the same things before. I went home the next day, I researched, I found out who was playing there, and was like, cool, I'm gonna follow these guys. They seem cool. And then I remember for one of their Grease miller parties where they had Brother playing in the basement, as well as Self Daddy for the After Hour, Martin was there, A.K. Porter. Um, I think the Willers brothers were there as well. Liam or Sean. Sai was there too. I've got was at the very top there. Stephen A. Levin was there, aka Stevo. And there was someone else. Gosh, I don't remember. But I look at that flyer every day. But I remember before going there, a week before or something, I thought the design was amazing. It was this red, orange, pinkish flyer with just dots everywhere the grease mood logo and the timetable on the bottom or the the headla- uh, the the artist names gosh I forgot what the word was and I remember I wrote the page a message and was like oh no I wrote Porter a message because I somehow remember that he was part of it or the boss of it or something and I wrote him a message and I was like hey man I love your flyer but like could I maybe get a poster of it <laughs> <laughs> He must have been thinking what the fuck But yeah, I mean I had I had the courage to do it I did it and I said hey if you have a poster like I'd be more than happy to have one I didn't think he would answer because I thought gosh this must be silly You know like who's gonna answer this kind of a request But he did and he said hey you know meet me downstairs at the booth No meet me upstairs at the booth At like six in the morning and I thought, oh, golly, goo, okay, okay, I see what's happening. I'm definitely going to stay till 6 you know? So I remember I'd gone there with my sister, and we were just dancing, dancing, dancing. Brawler's set was amazing. I think I even talked to him afterwards, and I asked him, like, yo, because like, he was playing, I think he was only playing records, if I'm not mistaken. And I'd never really paid attention to records and stuff like that before, and I thought, hey, like, how does he do it? So I obviously spent the night watching him, and at the end I was like, yo, like, What's your playlist? It sounds, now that I say it, it sounds quite silly to ask someone that. But somehow I thought that he had programmed everything beforehand because it was so smooth. Okay. So I asked him, like, "Yo, like, how'd you do that? And he was like, oh, I just take records and play them. And I looked at him so confused, and I was like, this guy must be crazy. Like, <laughs> he's, <just, laughs> he's just digging into his little thing here and throwing a record down and playing it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then I went upstairs and... That was the first time ever in my life that I'd entered a DJ booth where, because at Mula like, you'd kind of have to go into the back next to the back speaker and then get into the booth. And I just felt really guilty. I didn't want to like disturb Martin while he's playing, but still, you know, I, I walked up in there and he looks at me kind of confused, you know, I mean, six o'clock in the morning, what do you expect? And I look at him and I'm just, I'm like, uh, 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 poster. And he looks at me and he's like, he puts headphones, he takes his headphones off and he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, I wrote you about a poster? And I have to, like, scream this at him. And I'm not really the kind of guy to want to scream at a guy because, you know, the music's too loud. But he's like, oh, oh, right, right, right. And he ducks over, goes through his things, and gives me that poster. And I'm just like, wow, thank you so much. <laughs> and I got on out of there. <laughs> but... um, yeah, this is all a bit of a side story into into how I got into it. But then later when I went to my first in store, which was the first We Are House release by the Willis brothers, Liam and Sean, I remember be I remember having ordered one and I thought, gosh, how cool would it be if they signed it? And I thought about this for a long time, and then I figured, yeah, heck yeah, I'm just gonna do it. Let's see what happens. So I sent him a message and I'm like, Hey man, can you sign my record? <laughs> I'll, like, come to your (laughs) in-store, but can you sign my record? (laughs) And there, too, I was like, gosh, is he going to answer? Is he not going to answer? We'll never know. And he did, and he he laughed. He was like, ha-ha, sure. And I was like, oh, my God, cool. Like, what time do you want me to be there? Like, oh, I was was so young. I was, like, really polite. I was like, oh, okay, I'll be there exactly at this time. And then, you know, I, like, got all my friends to come with me. And I met them and I talked to them and everything and we had a good time and I was just laughing my butt off I think so was he because I'm not sure if anyone had ever asked him to sign a record before maybe they have maybe they didn't but it was a really good experience that's also where I met Cynthia for the first time and I remember I had heard her sets before I think I'd even see her play before somewhere earlier that year because i had been following the crew around and uh yeah I talked to her and I was like wow like Because she, huge influence on me. Like, when she played that, like, 90s New York stuff, it really hit all my taste buds. All the soul and jazz with a house beat. It was kind of like a texture moment, but to the power of 100. Like, every song she played, I was like, wow, that vocal. Those keys. That bass line. Everything just hit the spot. And that was the first time I met her, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, oh, well, it's it's such an honor to meet you, like, like you're like a goddess in my eyes, you know? I mean, I'd always called her Queen Cynthia, you know, because I, I kind of believe that's kind of what she was to me. And yeah, just meeting her that day really was like a wow moment to realize, like, whoa, all these people are just people. Yes. I mean, I think, I mean, probably growing up in North America, you think, like, anyone that makes music and is somewhat famous as kind of like a rock star or pop star or whatever, you know? Like, the huge following, this, that, and the other thing. But then suddenly I met, you know, just underground house people and they're just really nice and humble. Yeah. That really wowed me, I have to say. And that was also, I think, the first in-store that I'd ever gone to. So obviously I took a bunch of pictures, had a had a jolly time. I look at those quite frequently. But yeah that was that was also one of the very inspiring things in my story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> generally um you kind of land also in kind of a circle of known people who kind of go to the same parties and I don't know it's like a certain um vibe than the same vibe you have at the party, the same you have at the store. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, then you become also one of the crew generally because you are like the dancer and you understand, you know, the whole um, music experience thing. Mm-hmm. So at the end, they're doing it for you, you know, for mm-hmm. the dance floor. And I think this is just great to have like everything a bit more mixed together. Yeah. And it then becomes kind of a, like a little safe haven. Mm-hmm and that's the thing i think this very important thing about being more inclusive and welcoming like those kind of requests you know um because i think that's just positivity for everyone and the way you mentioned before also when they didn't reply to you in like three days you're thinking it's like ah maybe it was silly of me you know Mm -hmm. but it wasn't and i think a lot of um, like labels and artists kind of never answer at all and that might influence some people's experience of the music mm-hmm. industry in general and I think it also can make the difference between um, someone that is very motivated and wanting to move on to the next stage and someone then who would say like, ah, okay, I'm only getting Like no replies, Mm -hmm. as well, just get up,
1: give up. Yeah, you just accept it as not being a thing. Exactly. You know, like you're here, they're there. Two different sides of the room. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. I mean, I also have had experiences where, you know, for example, with Julian, when I wrote him, and I was like, hey, like all I wanted was two or three songs, but I really wanted to know what the one was with the the Zane flip of hey Mr. DJ I really needed to know what that was because I wanted to listen to it but of course I didn't know how to word it so I just said give me, give me a couple songs he sent me his whole list I go, I thought gosh like, this is enough to work with Like, this is the best thing he could have ever done for me yes. and then there's been other DJs where you know during the night or day or wherever it was or whenever it was I'll just walk up to them walk up to them and be like hey like, uh, could you tell me what's playing because this is really nice and you know I'd like to know This guy looks at me and says, "Eh eh-eh. And I look back and I think, maybe he's misunderstood me. And I think, like, gosh, uh, uh, could I maybe know who the artist is? And the guy looks at me with these almost angry eyes that I was, like, kind of intruding his booth privacy there and says, no, it's a secret. (laughs) And I think about this retrospectively and I think, gosh, why are you a DJ? Mm -hmm. I mean... From my understanding, also just the way I grew up, I was always the kid that people would like give the aux cable to to be like, "Hey, play something. I'll take care of it." You know, I was a DJ before I was a DJ. Yeah. So I always thought the whole point of being a DJ or someone who's a bit more connected to music was to share it because music that people don't know, they won't listen to. You know, and you can only expose someone to so much in a basis. So this guy telling me that I couldn't know what the song was called because it was a secret, I thought, darn. Like, really, I was like, I mean, sure, your music's good, but, you know, his his energy that he was admitting, I didn't want it. I I don't think I ever went to see that guy play again just because of that. I mean, sure, he could have, you know, told me, like, hey, I'll tell you later or, you know, come up with some excuse that he's too busy. But his, like, angry attitude and me wanting to know, like, as if I was his competition... That hurt. That really turned me off. I was like, wow, like, ooh, there people can be bitter? I thought everyone here was so cute.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, a bunch of those.
1: Yeah, I mean there's you know, people are people. There's some like this, some like that. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think some people
0: um think about the or like some DJs think about their tracks that they play as the secret weapons. Yeah, of course. And but I think this Like I understand, of course, everyone has like their secret bangers that they're going to play. It's not like it's just good and it's not so known yet. But since everyone's going through music, there's always new stuff. So we never play the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. So generally, it's always like time based. And you will move on to the next secret banger and make it like bigger
1: than it is and then you move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean that's how I see things now too. I mean, you're just playing a track if someone wants to know, I mean, be the nice guy and tell the guy. Cuz I mean, think about it realistically, like also now that I've thought more about production and the whole other side of things rather than just listening to music and whatever. I also thought like, man, if some somewhat famous dude or not famous dude doesn't matter is playing my track and somebody says, "Oh, I like that. I want to hear more of that." Please, you know, give me the sacred connection to this information. And the guy says, no, sorry, can't share. It's exclusive. I would be, I mean, I as a producer in that case, I would be like, darn, like, you could have, you know, helped me out. Yes. By, you know, just telling the guy that it's me who made it. And, you know, then the person takes a note of it and goes to my discography and says, oh, I like this guy or oh, I only like that one song. <laughs> you know, one or the other. But, you know, he didn't even give him the option, so... Yes. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's a shame. But I think, you know, some people get into it of, like, more of an ego thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um yeah. No, I, I see that. I see that. I've, I've, sadly enough, met way too many people that are not... <sighs> Let's put it this way, that they're not driven by correct motives, you know? Like, their, their reason of being a DJ is not other people's reason of being a DJ. Like, they want to be a DJ for the free drinks and being able to party all night and maybe even get paid for it. Maybe get some likes, get people to know their name. I think that's just silly. I have to be honest, I mean, there's no passion for what you're playing. You're just playing it because people like it or because they dance to it or because it's in the top hundreds or whatever silly reason it may be. But I've just never gotten it, you know? I can filter it out really quick. It's like I have a like a spidey sense for it, you know? <laughs> I can just like tell if someone's really passionate about what they're doing or if they're just doing it for, let's say, the benefits, you know? Ego, the fame, the likes, the money, the status symbol of, ooh, I'm a DJ. Because, I mean, nowadays, who isn't a DJ? Yes. <laughs> Considering technolo- technological improvements, like, gosh, I DJ on my phone if I wanted to. Yep. Just download one app, click that little sync button, exactly. don't even buy the music, just, you know, download it off some conversion app and be, oh, I'm a DJ. For sure. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other rant I could get into. Well,
0: <laughs> 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 um, yeah. No, but I think there's... The thing is what I like generally about that, what you say, like you sense uh, the reasons why people are into into it. Um, And I think like in the house scene, there is a lot of also older people um, that are basically already settled in life, have their thing going on and not necessarily chasing the whole... Um artistic side of it, but really just going with the groove and just making music and sharing music and mm-hmm. starting labels and that kind of thing and for those people, it's like a like a real passion, I mm-hmm. think of course, for the other ones can also be but um <clears throat> I think if you do. Something regardless of the circumstances, you're going to keep doing it, then it's not motivated on success. Mm-hmm. You know? So you can see that it's like, ah, okay, I want to be the biggest DJ straight away. And um, if that's the reason you get into music, well, you know, you're probably not going to last. Mm-hmm. But if your reason of music is music and how it makes you feel and, you know, how you're connected to it, Everyone has a story. Mm. Um, I think that's, then you're just going to keep doing it regardless if you're going to become the biggest DJ or not. Yeah. And sometimes I have the feeling that people also always reflect um, their assumption of being a DJ is about chasing that dream of being the biggest DJ there is. Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that's I think that's a bit the nice thing about the underground
1: you know oh I love the underground I don't care if you see me or not I'm still (laughs) doing my thing
0: (laughs) 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 are there any things that you want to share still that's a big question Yusuf generally
1: that you want to throw in, that you've thought of before, that you. <laughs> I mean, one thing that I just thought of about people being exclusive about their music was actually something that I learned. I think it was in Jamaica. I, I mean, I didn't learn it in Jamaica. Sorry, I was studying about Jamaica and sounds of some culture and whatnot, and I remember there were actually guys who would like scratch the label off their records (laughs) so if they had a tune that was their signature tune they wouldn't want anyone else on the island to know about it so they would literally scratch the vinyl label off or paint it black or something like that and thinking about it now that is kind of what people do just they don't need to scratch a label off they just don't need to tell you you know to keep it to themselves true but i think
0: so if i look at it from the perspective of access to music. So let's say if you have limited access and you only have 100 records and that's what you do and that's your profession and you're making money with it and in a time where there isn't really internet or like digital mm-hmm. music playing is not a thing, then I think it would be legit to actually scratch it off. Totally legit. Totally legit. And not share music because that's basically how you make a living. Yeah. And the other people are your competition. 100%. Especially if the records
1: are so rare, then it's hard. Yeah. No, definitely agree. I just had that same thought. And I was thinking about like, man, if this guy just like scratched the record off, like, okay, I understand. You want to be conspicuous with your music and just keep it on the down low? Fine by me. <laughs> just just had that picture in my mind there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is there anything else you'd like to ask or know?
0: yes so I think a little bit about um, your productions as
1: Emot from Berlin (laughs) Emot from Berlin (laughs) is that even true though Hmm. so
0: you've released uh, an EP Lucid Living yep on Heat Up Music uh, like two months
1: ago? Yeah. Yeah, in October. Or was it September? I think it was October. Yes. Yeah. That was on Raphael's label. Yeah. Shout out to him for having me, by the way.
0: Shout out to Raphael. I
1: mean, yeah, production-wise, I have to say, I never dreamed of being a producer. I mean, sure, I like making music, like, I mean, I was more into, like, jamming, just, you know, meeting up with people and, like, playing... Everyone played their instrument, did their little thing, and then they went home, and that was their day. There was no such... Like, I never came to the thought of, why don't we try to record something? Why don't we try to save it in some sort of way? I mean, sure, I knew what mp3s were, but I never thought about actually producing one of them. And, uh, production for me kind of just came naturally, I mean... I tried making hip-hop beats when i was really into that because that's kind of what i grew up on like maybe i was like 10 from 10 till maybe 16 17 hip-hop was like the main thing i listened to that's also where i got to soul and jazz and stuff like that and so when people started like making music on fruity loops garage band ableton in our early teen years i was like oh i want to do that too you know that was pretty easy you're just clicking a couple boxes and boom you got music so I had one of my friends try to teach me, a uh, good friend, Ben Raymond. I remember he came over one time during lunch, and we sat down, we were just chilling, having a good time, and he opened up his laptop and said, all right, so this is how you program a loop. And I remember looking at his screen and just seeing these little boxes, just everywhere was boxes. I felt like the Matrix. I was overwhelmed. There were just faders everywhere, and all these options of things are doing. I just didn't get it, and... He tried for a good 45 minutes or something while we had lunch to teach me, and I just didn't get it. And I remember I got a couple... Of, uh I worked a bit on Ableton maybe for like a week or two, and I was just so frustrated I said, nah, I'm not going to produce music, I'm just going to listen. And then obviously after I started DJing and understanding a bit more about arrangements and patterns and song templates and palettes of sound, I thought about, you know, I thought I'd try it again. So, you know, i had been making... A couple things here and there, but because I compared them to music of a much higher degree, you know, something like I was comparing them to like Carrie Chandler productions and thinking, Why can't I make my drums sound like that? I was like, gosh, I must really suck. And this went on for a really long time until I one day realized that, you know, I'm there's no way that I'm gonna be from zero to hero in a month or two. I figured this is gonna be a learning process for the rest of my life and uh... yeah, so you know, just make a couple tracks here and there but I was just never satisfied, they just weren't spicy enough you know, then I uploaded one cut where I sampled um... gosh, what did I sample? uh... I think it was Casey and the Sunshine Band and I just took the pad out of that and just looped it and put some drums on it and put a vocal that i think i got from a movie put like a vocal on it and i was like ha 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 this is so funny how great then my fart uh my friend cable k aka mark comes up and says this is great let me like fix it up and give you a proper mix down i had no idea what that was he said what what kind of stuff did you put on your channels i looked at him i said What's stuff like <laughs> i barely even managed to put the volume up and down on the faders for like some of the channels like that's all i did and he was like no 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 no." and he got really sound sciencey on me started explaining what frequencies were where why you had to duck this instrument why you had to compress this and sidechain that i had no idea what he was talking about but he mixed that down for me and it sounded a lot better and i was like wow that's that's quite listenable (laughs) so that was that that was maybe like two years ago and, uh, yeah, overall, I didn't really produce much that I was proud of. I produced a lot, sure, but I never really was satisfied with it. And the one piece for Raphael's label, for Heat Up, um, I started making the freak track last year with my friend Jacob. Uh, Jacob invited me once to his uh, school, the HDPK, um which is in Park, which is like a music school, more or less. I like a university. And uh, I remember we were like in one of the studios there, and we were just jamming, and I thought, hey, like, can I do some drums? Or like, oh no, actually, we chose drum samples together, and then arranged, and he played some keys and did a bass line, and I was like, whoa. I was like, you're so good. (laughs) I could have never played the keys like that, even though it was really just a couple chords. And then we took the, the project home, and I'd worked on it, and I'd worked on it some more. And then I'd even, like, done some funny stuff with vocals and tried new techniques. And I was like, wow, cool. But I didn't do anything with it. We never either really, like, finished it and just kind of left it be. And then I played it at at Klunkakranisch when, I think it was for a BBC party, we were supposed to play there together. And Raphael was late, so I thought, hey, you know, like, before we open, like, I'm going to play one of my tracks and see what it sounds like on a system. So I played that free track. Stood in the middle of the dance floor, listened to it, started taking notes of what I thought was good, and what I thought was bad. And then comes Raphael and says, whoa, what you doing? And I'm like, hey, man, just, you know, chilling. And he's like, cool, like, what you like? why are you taking notes? And I'm like, oh, just something I made and just wondering how it sounded. And he was like, whoa, yeah, that's, that's cool, that's cool. And then I think he hit me up a bit later and said, hey, man, if you want to release something, you know, just send me some demos. And I was like, whoa, like, he thought it was listenable, like, listenable? I was like cool like I always thought my music was me, average and uh yeah that gave me a bit of more of a motivation to really get into production and I did start like fumbling into like um like audio like sound engineers and uh how they work with sounds and uh yeah starting to grasp that a bit more I finished a second one as well second track and sent that to him and uh yeah that was that and recently I have to say, I haven't been produ- producing as much as I want to. I've just mainly been drained in the evenings after a lot of university and just not been in the mood to want to produce music. It's just the creative flow is just gone. And then I also started listening to a lot of electro lately and techno and kind of reconnecting with that side of things, even though I was pretty sure I was over it. Apparently not. And then I started thinking, like, whoa, like these are electro rhythms are kind of cool. Like, it's... It very much reminded me of hip-hop. I mean, if you think about it, like, historically, it was kind of like a thing that came after disco, this, like, hip-hop movement, and then there was also, like, electro going on at the same time, or, like, electro-disco or electro-funk. And, uh, yeah, recently I've been making a lot of those kind of rhythms. And uh, maybe one day they will also see the light. But that day is probably far away, (laughs) if I have to be honest. If I have to be honest. Yeah
0: yeah but i think inspiration comes and goes you know and once you know you hit that let's say um, wavelength of ideas and inspiration you just kind of lock in and you finish it Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah yeah but I, i really like the release
1: um freak
0: is obviously my favorite
1: thanks yeah i love that one too shout out jacob couldn't have done it without him yes Um, and yeah, it's a good thing that I got the premiere
0: on Berlin House Music for it. It's an (laughs) honor. So yeah, check out Imat from Berlin. Check out his new track, uh, Freak. That's Freak. Just Freak. Just Freak. (laughs) (laughs) On Heat Up Music. Um, check out his SoundCloud.
1: And, and you can also... Check out my Instagram. I'm gonna be. Ch- I mean, my Instagram has been like a. It was actually just a private Instagram, and then it just grew and grew, and now I'm starting to realize that maybe, I mean, a lot of people my age they don't really use Facebook as much. I feel like, and it's just kind of dying out. All the algorithms are just kind of, kicking people in the wrong places. And I started realizing that I should actually be putting my pictures on Instagram where they belong right <laughs> it's a photo platform yes so uh yeah you can expect uh, a lot of house pictures and a lot of pictures from the last couple of years that I think are worth sharing on there for the public cool. <laughs> so at email from Berlin email from Berlin nice and easy okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> alright thank you so much for doing this thank uh, you for yeah. having me Yusuf
1: it's always a pleasure yeah
0: and we'll see you in the future (laughs) thanks thank you everyone for tuning in have a good one so good